Bibles. Today we're in Romans 12, be in verse 14. And this should be a fun text such that we will probably take a good portion of Sunday school to converse about this text. You'll see why. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you know the world record for staying underwater without an assisted breathing device? 22 minutes, 22 seconds. It's true. And I read that, and it sounds impossible. I thought, I can beat that. And I did. I actually went to 22 minutes and 34 seconds on a single uh, one, no breathing apparatus underwater. Jeff's looking at me like I lost my mind. Who believes me? Who thinks I'm, uh, thank you, Karan, I love you so much. Who thinks I'm lying through my teeth? Well, it's, it's one or the other, come on. So I thought what I would do is I would prove it to you. This will be a strange sermon if, if I have to prove it the whole way, but I'm going to shoot for over 22 minutes. I'll go for 24 minutes, all right? Got a baptismal there. I'll need some of you to come up with a stopwatch, or there, actually there's an easier way to do it. You ready? Anyone have a stopwatch? Go. I'm going to stay underwater with no breathing apparatus. <laughs> now I see Rich, and he's like, dude, let's see. Let's see if you can hold that there. I'm not going to stand there for 23 minutes. In reality, the record is 22 minutes, 22 seconds. I don't know how it happened with some sort of hyperventilation, deep sea diving. Don't, don't try it. You'll drop dead at about three minutes. But do you know the life of a Christian is, in fact, not the life of being a good moral person, but the life of doing the impossible? The life of, of doing what is supernaturally possible, but in the flesh is not possible at all. And in fact, this whole text runs up to one point at the end. And the point it runs up to is, do not be overcome, with, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The whole thing runs to there, so we're going to go there. I'm not going to break this thing apart like we did the last few weeks. But our goal as Christians, what we're saved to as Christians, what, what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do in light of Romans 1 through 11, are you ready for this? Is to bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, and to overcome evil with good. I had so many notes and so much to say. We're going to try to shrink this down to let us think about this and interact with this because this is highly, highly offensive. We are called by Jesus to do some crazy, crazy things. You ever read the Gospels? You ever read Luke? You ever see something in Luke 6 where Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also from the one who takes your cloak. You ever, does Jesus really mean that we're supposed to do that? Really? 
No, it's stuff Jesus does. But we're not supposed to bless those who persecute. Persecute means desire to harm you. If you desire to harm me, do you know what I do? I pray for you and then harm you. It doesn't really mean that we're supposed to overcome evil with anything other than a greater means of evil. You hit me, I hit you back harder, right? I've heard that somewhere. It wasn't from Jesus. What Jesus is saying is that we are in this world in large part to overcome evil and only one thing overcomes evil. What does the text say? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If I smack you and you smack me back, evil has overcome you. We're called to be aggressive. Overcome comes from the Greek word nikao. And why do I share that with you? Nike shoes. You ever wear those? Nike shoes comes from the Greek word nikao, which means victor or overcomer or conqueror. So those are biblical shoes. They're not biblical shoes. They're good shoes. But I just, if you want to wear them and, you know, tell your wife you want a nice pair of sneakers or kids, right? Tell Kyle, you could say, hey, Dad, you want to buy me some Jesus sneakers, please? It'll help me walk in victory in Christ. Yeah. We are called as Christians to aggressively come against evil. We are to be a fighting people. We're to be a conquering people. How do you conquer evil? You overcome evil with good. How do you do this? On your own, you can't. But in light of, here's the thing. Christians aren't supposed to just do good things. Christians are supposed to do impossible things. We're supposed to do the right thing for the right motive. We're supposed to genuinely love, not to get, but to give. We're to forgive because, well, we'll get to that in a minute. We're to actually bless those who persecute us, who hate us. We're to love those who don't love us. We'll just go and do it. I'm going to use two examples here. The second one I'm uncomfortable with, but we'll go ahead and do it. When Jesus says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. Do you know what he's talking about? Show you by way of illustration. Jim, would you stand up for a minute? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. People mess this text up. It's not about someone attacking you, okay? There's not like a martial arts class where everyone gets together. Hoi! Today, we'll work on smack technique. Everyone palm out, kapui! You ever, you ever have like a Bruce Lee come out there like, pa, pa, pa. No one smacks in combat. Yeah, the... the the, the, the army rangers come out of the helicopter. Pa, pa, pa. No. It's an insult. And it says, if someone shames you publicly, do you know what you do? Shame them back. Amen? You smack them back? You, what, you let them keep smacking the same cheek? What do you do? Turn to them the other also. You address the shame. Pat. Don't, don't keep shaming me there. That's not right. But turn the other cheek saying, I'm going to maintain the relationship with you because I love you. You shame me, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to keep this relationship so far as depends on me so that I might share with you that my identity is not found in me. You can call me ugly. You can call me dumb. You can call me anything you like because Jesus calls me loved. Amen? You see what's going on here? Someone shames you, the world shames back. Jesus says, someone shames you, don't shame them back, love them back. How are you going to do that? Romans 1 through 11, amen? 
we come from a, a people of changed relationships as Christians, with God, with ourselves, with the world, with Christians, and with evil. We are called to do what to evil? Overcome it. Overcome it with what? You ever been persecuted by someone who shamed you? Yeah. You ever go to work and not like somebody at work? Anyone ever seek to harm you at work? I see you, lad. Just you, shh. We'll talk about it after. She's got rough bosses. Yeah, you ever have problems with your neighbors? You ever have problems with family? You ever have people that, that don't respect you? Right? And what do you do? Do you try to bless them or do you try to break the relationship with them? Do you try to shame them back? Jesus says, listen, I know something about some cheek smacking. I know something about ridicule and shame. And you need to, too. We need to aggressively come against evil. If someone evilly smacks you on the cheek to shame you, Jesus calls you to turn the other cheek, to maintain the relationship, to overcome evil with good and hope that you might bless that person. What does that mean, bless? To desire to see God's good done towards someone. Is that your natural response when someone smacks you in the face? It's a supernatural response, isn't it? How do you do it? Well, you ever smack Jesus in the face? You ever shame Jesus? You ever spit on that man's face? You've done far worse than smack him. What did he do? Did he smack you back? Jesus hung on the cross. He says, y'all going to get it. My daddy's going to stop you. Y'all don't know who you're messing with up here. Is that what he said? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Is that what we all would say? Remember Stephen? Getting stoned to death? What did he say? Curse y'all! No. Lord Jesus, into your presence I commit myself. Paraphrasing Acts 7. Don't hold this thing against them. They don't know what the heck they're doing. Paul, throughout his ministry, people trying to kill him. He keeps sharing the gospel. What did they know that we struggle to know? Who did they know well that we struggle to know well? They knew Jesus. Father, forgive them. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives where? Remember Romans 8? It's a battle, Romans 7. It's impossible apart from Christ, Romans 1 through 11. But my friends, we are called to battle the flesh and overcome evil with good. Someone smacks you on the cheek. Someone shames you. Someone persecutes you. What is your natural reaction? Two, two choices. Someone punches you, you punch them back. Or someone punches you, you go passive. Those are the only worldly responses. You ever notice that? You got aggressive people? You, you come at me, we'll, we'll, we'll do battle. The other, you come at me, I'll run away, but I'll wish you bad. The Christian response, you come at me, I'm not going to let you physically harm me. But insofar as depends on me, I will desire to bless you and be a blessing to you because Christ has blessed me. Amen? So I got a, into a conversation a couple of years ago with someone through a mutual friend, and they told me a story, true story. They were molested by their grandpa. They're my age. For years and years and years. And they told their parents, and their parents called him a liar. And it went on for years and years and years. Here's a question. They said, 
all right, pastor, do I have to forgive my grandpa? And if so, how? Well, dang, the rubber hits the road there, don't it? Side note, there are legal issues at play, and if this were you, you would want to contact the police, especially if you're in the midst of the situation. We got Romans 13 coming up next. But, but how do you seek to bless someone who molested you or your child? Shouldn't we take them out in the field, four bullets, one in each shoulder, one in each hip, and then you walk away? You know that's what you want to do, right? Maybe that's just me. But, but that's evil overcoming me. We're called to overcome evil with what? Molestation is a massive deal. Far, far more horrendous than we could ever fathom. But there's a bigger deal when it comes to sin. You know what it is? Sinning before a just and holy God. Now, now we go, hold up. So, so, so maybe, maybe I, I did something technically simple. I stole something. I, I cursed someone. I physically harmed someone. But I didn't molest a kid. Well, my friends, here's the problem. There are degrees of sin, yes. But the wages of sin is what? And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If not for Christ, what would you face today? Where would you spend eternity? In the fiery torment of hell under the wrath of God. That's what you merited. That's what you deserve. So when something happens to you that severely, it is not until you see the severity of how seriously Christ took sin and the seriousness and the severity by which you have been saved that you are able to overcome evil with good. Now, you see why this is going to continue in Sunday school? Because I'm looking at your faces and you're all like, hold up, Pastor. You really seem to imply that we're supposed to seek to bless a child molester who came up against us or our family? No, I'm not telling you that, because if I wrote this sucker, it would be four bullets and walk away. You think I'm kidding, touch my kid. You can pray for me, but I tell you where you'll be found. But I hope I wouldn't do that, because it wouldn't honor Christ. Because that child molester is overcome by evil, and Jesus came to save people who've been overcome by evil to make evildoers do-gooders, amen? We were all once evildoers overcome by evil. The same seed resides in all of our hearts. The fruit looks a little different in different people's lives, but it's the same seed by which we are separated from God. And here's why this is so hard, because we all wrestle and need to better understand. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. You hear that? If while we were what? Enemies. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. We, we got to, Paul says, what a wretched man I am, Romans 7. Listen, he's using a powerful word there. Don't get me wrong. T- touching a kid is a nasty sin, and it's a horrible sin, and it's a consequential sin, and I'm thankful for Romans 13. You say, what's that? Come back next week. But the Lord says, vengeance is mine. And you touch a kid, the Lord going to touch you. You sin against anyone, the Lord is going to come against you. But hold on a minute. 
Do you really want the wrath of God poured out on someone who harmed you? Because I'm just thinking that God didn't pour his wrath upon us, not because we weren't a child molester, but because of grace through faith. Amen? And we are called to be a people who understand that Jesus took that wrath for us so we might proclaim to all people, for God so loved the world, less child molesters, so that who had, no, to all people, so that whoever would trust in Jesus would be forgiven. We bless people first and foremost by telling them that God's wrath will be satisfied. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Who is he going to settle debts with? Are you going to pay the debt you owe God yourself? Or are you going to let Jesus pay for you? As those who are forgiven, we are called to be forgiving. Amen? How? Forgiving isn't forgetting. You wrong me doesn't mean I can't remember you wrong me. What it does mean, forgiveness is a, a debt thing. Forgiveness is about exacting a payment thing. And it's about me saying to you, you wrong me, I'm going to eat the debt. I'm not going to extract payment from you. I'm not going to want to see you harm. The debt is no more. I'll stop playing the tape. I'll stop bringing it up. I'll stop revisiting all the time. It's a decision. And we're able to do that because we know God will settle accounts and he uniquely settled accounts with us. Amen? Now y'all are going to be looking at me crazy the rest of the day here. This is just ridiculous. So I say to this person, do I have to forgive? Well, your salvation isn't contingent upon forgiving. But if you're forgiven, why is it so hard to forgive this person who harmed you so severely? And they looked at me like, are you stinking crazy? And I said, I am a little crazy, and I'm certainly not in your shoes. And, and I don't know how I would respond in the situation, but I do know if I'm living Romans 12.1 and I'm living Romans 12.2 consistently, and I'm seeing the cross clearly and Christ clearly and the gospel clearly and myself clearly and I'm overcome by grace, I can start with a face smack and turn you the other cheek. And then if the Lord allows a massive consequence like that step in, supernaturally I can praise God and say like Stephen, Lord Jesus, please don't hold this sin against them. He doesn't know what he's doing. Do you hear me there? Cheek slapping and child molestation. Can I stretch out any further on this? Nope. Bless those who persecute you. Keep burning coals on their head. How do you do that? You say to this person, listen, I have anger towards you. And some of that's righteous anger because what you've done is a grievous offense. And I want to let you know that, that my God will settle accounts with you. You ain't getting away with this. But I also know that you and I are birds of the same feather. See, I would never do such a thing, but that's just because my seed hasn't grown into that fruit. I got a same sick heart, but I have a gracious Savior who gave me a new heart. And, and I want to let you know that, that while the, the law has requirements and Romans 13 comes in, I personally will not exact payment from you because Christ took my payment in my place. And I'm able to do this because in the flesh I can't, but by the Spirit, I can do all things through he who has saved me. And I want to let you know that you have a choice of paying this debt on your own or letting Christ pay it for you. 
And God says in Ezekiel 18 that he does not delight in the perishing of the wicked. And I am thankful because I used to be wicked, but by grace through faith I have become clean before God. And this may sound crazy to you, Mr. Child Molester, but the Lord would delight in you being born anew in Christ. And in my flesh, while I wish you would die, in the spirit, I wish you would live. And Jesus is the one who saves. You can't do that on your own, folks. You can't love genuinely on your own, folks. You can't forgive on your own, folks. But we're not called to just try hard to be nice people. We're called to some crazy stuff. It's a great way to empty out a church, isn't it? Well, this is impossible living. It's like staying underwater for 23 minutes. You can't do that. You know what's harder? Forgive somebody. We got a hard time forgiving our spouse if they look at us crooked. You remember seven years ago, you called me stupid. Like, really? Shut up, folks. Why can't we handle the hard stuff? Because we don't understand forgiveness. We don't understand how blessed we are. We don't understand Matthew 18. Hmm. So there was this king, and this king one day said, settle up, and he called everybody in, and he said, uh, hey you, you owe me 10,000 talents, it's like 17 billion dollars, guy said, look at this, well, I'll pay you back, shut your mouth, you're going to pay back 7 billion dollars? The king says to him, listen, you're going to lose your family, you're going to lose your kids. It's just, let's just call it a wash. Guy goes back home. He's got a guy, who goes him a debt, like $75. Guy says, I can't pay it, can you help me out? He says, heck no, I'm not helping you out. You get in jail, you get yourself dead, you owe me 75 bucks. And the king shows up. He hears from some other folks. That guy you forgave the $7 billion debt? He's gone crazy over 75 bucks. King says, bring him in. He says, hey, bud, you like my paraphrase? <laughs> you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. My friends, listen to me. Your salvation doesn't rest on how well you forgive but your salvation is enjoyed by how well you understand from what you have been forgiven. The glory of the Lord is revealed as we walk supernaturally doing the impossible and start with the basic. When your neighbor slaps your cheek, turn to him the other also. Heck, let's back it up. How about people don't leave churches because somebody offends them? Good Lord, do you see how easy this is? Love one another, forgive one another, walk with one another. The glory of the Lord is at stake. We're called to live this way. We're saved to live this way. We overcome evil by living this way. And Christ is exalted in the world as we overcome evil in this world with good. We're called to be a people who proclaim the gospel, who live in light of the gospel, and bring good news of great joy, not to clean, sanitary, superficial people, but to messed up, screwed up folk. Not people, listen, 
You tell me, I got to get my life together before I come to Jesus. Shut your trap. You can't. Jesus puts your life together when you trust in him. There ain't no too bad for Jesus. There ain't no too good for Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. You and a child molester too. So what, what did Stephen know? He knew what Jesus knew. He knew Jesus. What did Paul know? He knew Jesus. What have saints throughout all of church history known who burned at the stake, been beheaded, been courted, been abused, been mocked, been ridiculed, that you never even heard about? They knew Jesus. Why, why are you looking at me screwy when I'm talking about forgiving a child molester? Same reason I'm looking at myself screwy. Because we do not yet know Jesus as we ought. You and a child molester before the Lord, you want to know something? He ain't going, well, you never touched a kid. Maybe I'll forgive you. It just don't work that way. You spat in Yahweh's face. You committed spit. Imagine you bring, you're married and you bring another person home and you sleep with them in front of your, your wife or your husband. You're like, well, honey, I tried my best. It only happened once or twice. How's that going to work out? You know how many idols you slept with before God? Quit looking at the child molester like they're some sick freak and you're some super saint. Listen to me. By grace, through faith, so that no one may boast. I'm just thinking, if I ran into that incident in my house, I'd need that fifth bullet and that go through the head of the individual. Amen? But God didn't shoot me. God didn't stop me. God didn't harm me. God harmed his son. God killed his son. God so loved me that Jesus chose to come down into a filthy, sin-infested world of pedophiles and molesters and adulterers and liars and cheaters and stealers. You, you read scripture clearly. Of which you all were at one time to live a perfect life we couldn't to take the wrath of God upon himself as he hung on the cross. And then three days later, even though the song didn't play, he rose from the dead. He is risen. risen And by his resurrection, through his resurrection, we are not only forgiven and reconciled, but we are empowered to do the impossible. What type of impossible stuff? Not healings and tongues and all this sign and what. Listen, you want to show the world crazy, don't go hullabalooing and healing people and waving and falling over. Go love them. Go forgive them. Go relate with them in a way that they've never seen and preach Christ crucified to them. That's some crazy stuff they ain't seen. I need oxygen and a towel. Whew. See, if this air goes out, I'll preach three-minute sermons. Now someone's like, well, I'll go break the machine. We are called to be more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. What are you conquering? Sin. Overcoming evil with good. You're starting in here. You're working in here. You're getting out there. Listen. Don't go thinking you can do nothing and then when when a storm comes, you're going to be fully prepared. Ain't going to work that way. You walk in daily, monotonous, ordinary obedience. Read your Bible. Pray. 
gather regularly with the saints, not on Sundays only, but days in between. Love one another with brotherly affection. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. So fulfill the law of Christ. You know what happens? Now you're prepared when somebody smacks you in the cheek. You don't just snap react in the flesh. You react in the spirit. Now you're prepared when temptation comes your way to not give in to temptation. Now you're prepared so when someone harms you or robs you or lies about you or consequentially impacts you or abandons you, you ain't reacting now. You're walking with Christ now. And then when the big stuff might come, listen, a wise man who looks like this told me one day, when hard things come, you find out who you really are in Christ because you can't fake it at that point. And it might not be a child molester, and hopefully it never is. It might be a, a, a physical ailment that lays you up. It might be an emotional catastrophe that you struggle through. It might be a relational breach that you find yourself in. But when that storm comes, you find out who you are in Christ. And our job is to do our daily exercises in Christ so that when those days come, we might represent him well. Don't be praying, Jesus, I've been neglecting you for 25 years, but I could use you now. Oh, if you're in Christ, he'll be there. But you're going you're gonna to bring shame to his name. You pray today, Lord Jesus, I ain't living like I ought to live. I ain't loving like I ought to love. I don't know you like I ought to know you. But would you help me today? Even if there's not a catastrophe in my life, would you help me, Holy Spirit, to start with the basics today that I know you called me to? Would you help me genuinely love would you help me abhor evil? Would you help me hold fast to what is good? Help me to be committed to what you call me to be committed to and not distracted by what the flesh in here and the world out there offer and entice one another to. Help me to not be so concerned with making a name for me, but making much of your name. Help me not be so concerned with managing my schedule, but managing your schedule for my life. Help me not be so concerned with what I think, but with what you say. Amen? Help me, Lord Jesus, be empowered to love these folks as you loved me, so that they out there might know that we are your disciples. Love is an inconvenient term. Love, love intervenes into your life further than you might like to have it intervene. We like to live on the periphery. It's like this. Lord Jesus, here's what my calendar looks like for the month. I'm going to ask you to bless what I want on my calendar according to my plans in my time. And then if you see any gaps that you want to jump in and bless me uniquely, you can jump in there. Hmm? How about this? Lord Jesus, here's, here's my calendar, what I'm thinking but not my will, yours be done. What if he says, well, go ahead and change that right there. We say, well, Jesus, no, that would be bad news. I've been looking forward to, to that right there for some time now. So I'm going to do that right there. What's a choice you get to make? But listen to me. Hold fast to what is good. Set your mind on the things above, not the things that are on earth. Focus where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
If, listen, if Jesus says no, it's not because he wants to rob you of joy. He wants to give you life. And our lives are consumed with so many idols we serve. Some of them got two eyes, two arms, and two feet and run around our house. And we could convince ourselves, no, we're not idolizing our kids. We're trying to do what's best for our kids. Listen to me. Grandkids fit in here too. You want to know what your kids need more than anything in the whole world? It ain't friends. It ain't sports. It ain't nice clothes. It's Jesus. And you know what they need second most in the world? Parents or grandparents following Jesus in front of them. Amen? Amen. Listen, I know too many kids my age whose parents gave them everything the world had to offer. They, they, they live in luxury. They got good incomes. They have a reputation, but they don't know Jesus. Listen to me. You can give your kids lots of stuff. We got a house full of stuff if anybody wants some of it. But if we ain't giving them Jesus, parents and grandparents... We ain't loving. Let's not kid ourselves. Men particularly, we like to, to say we need to provide for our families. We, we need to be the ones who, who win the bread. we got to be committed to providing everything they need. Listen to me. Stop. That's called idolatry. You know what you need to do? You need to walk with Jesus. Yes, we're called to provide, but Jesus provides through us. He don't need your help in telling him, so Jesus... I need this much income in this many hours with this much vocation and this type of... Stop it! You might need that to do your will, but not his will. Amen? You ever, you ever been looking for a church? We were talking about this this morning. So I, I hope you're not looking for a church. <laughs> but so often we're like, I want this type of music at this type of time with this type of preaching and these type of people. Stop it! You want to find a messed up place that's trying not to be so messed up as they're trying to walk with Jesus and become more like him. And do you know what that looks like? Loving one another, abhorring what is evil, holding fast to what is good. We go into the next circle and we see our relationships with one another. You remember those? Fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, contribute to the needs of the sake, saints, seek to show hospitality. Then it says, and the plane's coming in for a landing, guys, don't get worried. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Cursing means wanting harm them. Blessing means wanting what's best for those. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You ever read Jeremiah? You should probably read Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah is known as a weeping prophet. You know why Jeremiah wept so much? It wasn't depression. Jeremiah was circumstantially in a very advantageous position. He says in Jeremiah 15, Your words were found and I ate them, and your word became to me a joy and the delight of, your, of my heart. He was a joyful, delighting person. So why was he weeping and crying so much? Oh, Jeremiah 9:1, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain daughters of my people. He wept over the lostness of people. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Do, do, do we do this naturally? You can't. Supernaturally? Yes, I can. Si se puede, for my Spanish-speaking friends. Amen? Is that right, Teresa? Si se puede? Live in harmony with one another. 
Do not be haughty. Don't be thinking all pridefully high of yourself. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Put that on your refrigerator, everybody. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. It means don't start a conflict on your side. Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, what do you do? What do you do in the flesh when your enemy's hungry? You go, ha ha, sucker. That's how the flesh responds. You hungry, huh? Huh? How's that feel, Mr. Hotshot? Little, your, your family's starving a little bit? Too bad you touched my kid. Hmm. Jesus doesn't say that, does he? If he's thirsty? Ha ha, drink a Gatorade right up in front of you. No, he doesn't say that. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. What does that mean? It means you'll be living in front of the person in a way where they're going, I don't understand. Don't you remember who I am and what I did? Why would you act this way towards me? And you know what you say when they, when they ask that question? You get to tell them, hey, I actually was far worse than you. I've done far worse things than you can ever imagine. I spat in the face of God. And do you know what God did? He wiped the spit off his face and embraced me through Christ. So the fact that, that you've, you, you owe me 75 bucks, proverbially speaking, I'd like to be paid. But I owed a debt to Christ that was far more massive. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we had 11 chapters. And the 11 chapters showed us how we were reconciled to God, how we were adopted by God, the riches we have in Christ, how to walk in light of those riches. And then Paul says in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You can translate that as rational service, too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. My friends, we have a sampling platter of what God's will is for all of us. Here's the challenge, and we keep going, 13, 14, 15. We're not done with Romans yet. But if you don't, see, there's this conversation people have with, with so many different struggles of, of legalism and cheap grace. Do I have to do what Jesus says? Well, kind of, yeah, but not to be saved, but as evidence of being saved. Other, some people say, well, Jesus gives us his commandments, but we're under grace, so it doesn't matter. That's not the gospel. Other people say, Jesus gives us his commandments, and if we're not doing them, we're not saved. Well, that certainly ain't the gospel. And let me explain why real clearly. Because what Jesus calls you to do isn't stuff people can do. He doesn't say, hey, to be saved, you've got to hold your breath for three seconds. No. He says, to be saved, you've got to hold your breath and swim under the whole Atlantic Ocean twice. You'd look at that and go, how? And Jesus says, I'm not kidding. You must swim under the whole Atlantic Ocean twice if you want to be saved. And it's not until you say, well, Lord Jesus, 
I can't do that, that you see him smile and go, right. And he says, grab on to me, let's go. And all of a sudden, you're doing some crazy stuff. You're swimming under the ocean back and forth. And the world should be standing on the shore looking at you, going, that ain't possible. But see, what, what happens with Christians too much is we put our toe in the water. And then we turn back to lost people. Come on, look at this. We got our toes in the water. And they're looking at us going, what is wrong with those people? Guys, we're not called to just put our toe in the water. We're called to swim crazy, to do the impossible, to love genuinely, to abhor what is evil, to hold fast to what is good, culminating in this. We are here as people in whom evil has been overcome with good. Amen so that we through Christ might be vessels through which God works to overcome evil with good. Now, I wasn't kidding. We'll begin downstairs with, with this topic because I am sure there is wrestling that goes on in people's minds. Not only how you do this, but aren't there circumstances where, you know, maybe after the death penalty is executed, then we could forgive my point is you're not recognizing what forgiveness is. Vengeance will be had. Every debt will be settled. But our gracious and merciful God offers an alternative to his wrath being poured out on you. It can be poured out in Christ in your place and cause you to be born anew. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I am marveled by what you have done for us. Help us to see more clearly the severity of sin in your eyes, the incredible cost that you paid on our behalf, what we've been saved from, what we used to be, and what we have become in Christ. Lord, help us to not only rightly see you, but rightly see ourselves. For any here who are not in Christ, Lord, help them to not judge themselves by others, comparatively speaking but to use your judgment of measure and compare themselves to you. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And Lord, to fall short of that is to face an eternal wrath. Lord, for those of us who've trusted in you, help us to see what we've become in Christ, that we are not captive to sin, that we are not disgusting and vile in your sight, but we are cleansed through the blood of Christ and not only cleansed, but born anew with a new heart so that we might live rightly, that we might live a fully human life, not the subhuman life that the flesh tries to lead us into. And Lord, would you by your power cause us to joyfully do the impossible for your glory, our joy in the sake of the lost? Lord, help us to not be, be, be toe-dabbling Christians, but help us to be those who do the impossible who forgive, who love, and who live their lives for you. Lord Jesus, we all fall woefully short of the lives that you call us to live. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would never be complacent in our current level of sin, but at the same time, we would never be overwhelmed and overcome by the sin in our life because we understand not only are we not captive to sin, but you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, it is through our limping obedience that you are glorified. 
So we pray that we might limp a little less today, love a little more fully as you've saved us too, and see you a little bit more clearly, Lord, and others as you see them as well. Lord, make the gospel precious to us. Make yourself magnificent before us and cause us to decrease so you might increase in our lives. Lord Jesus, we pray all of these things in your holy and precious and gracious and merciful name. Amen.